birth to a baby, whatever. So there it is, the chair. And it's in this space here, yeah? Now, for me, if I move this chair, do I have to move space back into its position? In other words, if I move this chair, do I have to have space, like in that closet, and move it back in where the chair has taken it up? Like, if I move the chair, is there any, any uh, lasting effects of that chair in that space? Or does, can you see any history of that chair there? And did we have to move some space in to fill up the space that the chair had taken up? So, in a sense, the chair is really just an appearance in space. It doesn't take up any space. There's no space missing when you remove it. It's just an appearance. It's sort of like a wave on the ocean. The waves, let's say you're a wave and I'm a wave, so what we're concerned about seeing are waves. And in that concern about seeing waves, we forget the ocean. But this chair has absolutely no effect on space, one bit. No matter, if you would go to a place where the most heinous act you've ever committed in your life, if you went there, there would be no uh, scar of that in the space. Would there? Like the most heinous thing that you think you ever did, if you went back there, there wouldn't be any sort of etheric memory floating in that space. It would be as if it never happened. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like. The chair is an appearance in space. Only the chair thinks it's different. Space doesn't. I mean, there isn't a different space on the other side of this wall, and the wall isn't taking up any space. There was no space that had to be moved to put the wall there, was there? You don't have to get like, okay, call up the truck that removes space from places. I'm building some walls today. No, the wall just appears in the space. It doesn't do anything else other than that. So here we are. So this wall is like a wave in space, and we're like a wave. So what I'm trained to see, what I'm conditioned to see from self-centeredness is waves. And in the seeing of the wave, I don't recognize the ocean. And then I suffer what a wave will suffer, and that's separation from the ocean. Now, is it actually happening? No. Because every wave, no matter how big or small, no matter if it crumbles or it, it just collapses, is still an ocean. No matter what appearance it takes, it may move slowly to a shore, it may be like a tsunami, but it's still basically the ocean. Yeah. So, most of us have a sort of like a helmet on called self-centeredness. That's the mental process. The mental process is built on a verb I call selfing. So the mental process is verbing. Yeah? And it's verbing a sense of being a self. So the verb makes up an illusion of being a noun. The noun is a sense of being a self. As soon as that verb takes on the role of being a noun, its first movement is to claim everything. Yes? So here we are. I'm sitting here, and right now there's conscious contact. There's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Yes? conscious contact, and the mental process recognizes that and says, I'm in conscious contact. So now, every time conscious contact is being expressed, which is at every moment you're awake, the mental process is claiming it. So 
like Buddha said, when you see, see, when you hear, hear, when you feel, feel, when you taste, taste, when you touch, touch. But what the mind does is it claims the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. So now the emphasis is on you seeing that. Yes? So you as a wave only sees other waves and has no sense of the ocean and all the seeing and all the hearing and all the feeling and all the tasting all the touching. All it has is the seeing of that, yes, from this. So what's always happening can be recognized by our head. Like, I bet you not one person here was in a cafe today and was complaining about gravity, the effects of gravity. I bet you not one person was saying, hey, man, my, something's been pushing on my left shoulder really heavy today. How about you? I see it's a little bit off. Nobody has mentioned gravity, I bet you, for years. And yet, it's a force on your body all the time. Yeah? And the only way you know it is by its absence. So here you are, here we are, we are in this thing that's always going on, and we have no ability to recognize it. Yeah? It's sort of like the fish doesn't know it's wet. It's totally in the ocean, but it doesn't know it's wet. But when it gets caught and pulled up and lands on that boat and starts flapping around, then it really suffers the absence of that wetness. Yeah? So here we are, no matter how well dressed you are, we're just flapping around on the deck. <laughs> Everyone is like trying to get wet because they're assuming they're dry as hell. <laughs> and it seems very noble to want to get wet. Yeah, it does. And there's a lot of people that will agree with you. Yeah, let's go get wet. <laughs> but really, that drive to get wet is just a denial of, of the wetness, yeah? Literally. It's an affirmation of your dryness to want to get wet. So the whole point is, is never finding out how to get wet is realizing you are that. Yeah? How I go about it is I look at what tells me I'm dry. Yeah? And if I'm not that, I'm not beholden to what it says. So to me, self, this sense of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, is produced by a mental process called selfing. And then there's a mind the mind, let's say, that maybe you had a lot of free samples of when you were a kid. If you weren't in an abusive situation, you had wonder and awe and things like that going on quite a lot when you were young. Because like when I was young, to me, really, my golden years were between two and four, literally. I mean, I was awake. And that mind hadn't become identified with the mental process of selfing. So the mind was able to entertain, yeah? what was going on, because it didn't have the option of time. So when I was playing, it wasn't worrying about, will I be playing next week? Because it had no concept of next week yet. Yeah? And my love for my mother wasn't based on what she looked like, because I had no concept of beauty and ugliness. She could have been usually obese and ugly, and it didn't matter. So all of these things that I seemed to have grown into weren't in place at that time. And what was there was a lot of wonder and awe. So, like, I think Jesus says you have to become like a child. It's not to become childish, but childlike. And to me, childlike is not behavioral, but it's mind. Yeah? So that mind, when it, and I believe it can entertain unbelievable things. It can entertain its own nature. It can entertain serenity and no peace. It can entertain a new freedom and a new happiness. It can entertain, I'm not that, what's being presented as itself. Yeah? 
So here's that mind, and it, see, it sees the mental process, and the mental pro- process, this verb, this noun gets presented and says, I am that. And the mind becomes identified as that. Yeah. Now the mind's ability to entertain goes into that system of self-centeredness, and now every moment it's entertaining, it's entertaining as a self, which severely limits its ability to entertain. So now, the way it can entertain peace is that I may have to do something and get something to have peace. It doesn't see peace as an immediate condition. It sees peace as something for you to acquire, yeah? And then again, to you to lose. So it's based on you getting it, and it will also be based on you losing it. Now, for me, I come from recovery, and this is what we call playing God, yeah? That's what selfing does. It plays God with what some people call the topic of God. So it makes God an object for you as the subject to either get or not get. Yeah? <laughs> so, so when that mind becomes enter- identified as that mental process, now when it entertains everything, it has to ent- ent- entertain things from that system. So it has time in now involved in it. So when it entered, like most people, when you talk to them and you say, hey, how are you? And they go, I will be okay later. Yeah? There's never like an okayness, a sense of okayness now, but there's always a hope that I will be okay later. Yeah? And the hope is always predicated on what? You. What you do or don't do. What you have and don't have. So you become more relevant than God, in a sense, in your pursuit of God. You're definitely more relevant than the truth in your pursuit of truth. Because who's telling you if you're getting closer or farther away from it? Your head, yeah? So it's like that little game when we were kids and they'd hide something in the yard and then the person would say, okay, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. So let's say you go on a retreat, a month-long retreat. So your mind goes, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. And then you go back to work. Oh, you're cold again, you're cold again. So what does it say? Sign up for the three-month retreat. You're getting warmer, you're warmer. And then, oh, I said something bad to someone. Oh, you're cold again. (laughs) What is it but playing God? What's playing God? Your head, yeah. So in a sense, your pursuit of truth, which is more important, you or the truth? (laughs) So your importance can be found in not finding the truth or finding the truth. It doesn't really matter to it. The point is, is it's importance. So every step of the way, when you're seeking to get out of self, that's actually being in self. <laughs> how could it not be? Who's telling you how you're doing? Or maybe you'll throw it on some other person as an authority. Yeah, you'll say, "Well, right, I bet you, if the most important person you feel in your life—I mean, the most important spiritual teacher of all time—if they appeared here today and they said, "Hey, listen, Paul, there's nothing you needed to do, there's nothing you need to do, and there's nothing you'll never need to do." And maybe I get this big wash of real relief from the burden of this, this drive of seeking, this real relief. But I'd go home and an hour later I'd be sitting on a cushion. <laughs> I would totally deny that authority and take what authority? This authority, yeah? Yes, yeah. No. 
That would be you looking at a little and a bigger you. Not. Not? Not. That's what I see. Not you. I see a verb, selfing. The mind does that. But in that verb, there's no noun to be found. When the mind gets identified with that mental process, that becomes the noun. Yes? Now, that noun claims everything that's going on. Now, instead of seeing thinking, you're the thinker. Yeah? Instead of life happening, life's happening to me. Body, my body. Time, my time. Problems, my problems. Yes? As soon as the claiming occurs, that's the activity of being a self. But it's not a noun. It's a verb. experience, but I don't see it that way. No. Because again, you still have relevance in that. It's you that have left something, and you that have gone into something, and you that has dismissed the little you. All that selfing. All of that activity is is like a mining of relevance for the small mind. Watch it. Check it out. It's always trying to write itself into the story. Somehow, if there's a great release, you have something to do with it somehow. And now there's like this very sophisticated thing not having anything to do with it, which you're up to your neck in doing with that. Yeah? We're so full of non-doing now, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's the same thing. You're still looking for the prize. That looking is a form of blindness to the seeing. Yeah? Every way of looking that we're trying to find to give us an advantage here, to give us some freaking relief, is actually a form of blindness. It's actually it's the seeing, but when the seeing is hijacked by the selfing, it becomes a form of looking, and that blinds you to the seeing. No matter how good that form of looking is, it still blinds you to the seeing. Sooner or later, if it's worth its salt, you're going to have to take those glasses off. Yeah? Because hopefully they're correcting a distortion. Let's say the glasses of self-centeredness have created a distortion. So you find, let's say, Buddhism or something like that. And you wear them now. And now they correct those distortions that you were living under before. But the point is, you still have a pair of glasses on. They're still looking. They're still based on the same paradigm of you being the most relevant thing. Because you can look or not look based on what? You. Yeah? So your looking is predicated and circumstantial and conditional based on you. <laughs> There's no freedom in that. This is a freedom from the you. Not freedom from all the things that the you believes is driving it crazy. Driving it crazy. No, freedom from that. Yeah. So this form of looking blinds you to the seeing. Like St. Francis had a beautiful statement. It said, what's seeing, I like to use what's seeing, but he, used to, he said, what's looking is what you are looking for. 
Yeah? So what's looking, and it, if there's no condition on that statement, it's not like after you go to the retreat, then what's looking is what you're looking for, or after you take that long bath in Epsom salts, then that's what's looking. No, what's looking all the time, that there's any looking, that's what you're looking for. Why isn't it that way? Because it's the you that's looking for, which is the blindness to the seeing. If you take the statement, what's looking is what you were looking for, just drop one word out. It's incredibly beautiful. Take that you out of it. What's looking is what's looking for. Where's there a distinction? There's nothing wrong with looking for. It's when it's claimed by selfing and you become the seeker. Then the seeking is used to promote it. Not to find its, its relief, but to promote its existence. Or actually, to me, relativeness. Yeah. So while you're practicing a very noble practice, you're basically reinforcing the dilemma. So the seeing is not circumstantial, not based on you, if you're feeling good or not. It's the state that we are. It's almost like that space we were talking about, or the sky. Have you ever seen a plane run into a piece of sky up there? Have you ever seen a giant Fourth of July explosion? Did you ever see it rent open the sky? Does anything that appears in the sky have any lasting effect on it? Clouds? Nothing, yes? The sky is like empty and allows everything to appear in it. How can... That not be what we are. We are a cloud or an appearance in that sky. But we can't know it as a cloud. Because the, the, the stubborn identification as a cloud wanting to know the sky permits, prohibits us from ever entertaining. We are that. Because we want to entertain it as a cloud. So it's like a bubble over the ocean. The bubble may sincerely want to know the ocean, but the sense of being the bubble precludes that. As soon as it pops, there was no bubble. Then there's no longing for it being the ocean or having to do anything to be the ocean. There's an immediate rush of oceanness. Yeah. So your clothes are another you because eh? you're covering you. Your clothes. <laughs> They're another you. Next meeting, we'll have a nudist meeting. Oh, yeah? Let's do that. Let's Now, let's do it. Take them off. Let's go. Let's see the soul. I haven't seen one yet. 
See, I don't, that's not my, the view that I entertain. Though I entertain that you're having it, yes, but I don't entertain that view. I don't see it that way. For me, this is almost like a telescope. Let's say there's a telescope and a scientist wants to see the stars, yeah? So he looks through the telescope, and this telescope's lenses make the stars seem like they're closer. If you looked at it from afar, the stars aren't moving closer. It's a perceptual shift, yeah? So he looks through this telescope, and he sees the stars. So let's say, in a way, spirit or consciousness is looking through a body, yes? It looks through this body and these lenses of this body, because this is an object, yes? It's an object, and it's got rules it's living under, which are dualism, yes? So this object has two lenses. So here's this undifferentiated light. It comes through this body, and then it differentiates. And so now, this can see light differentiated. Okay, so here's the scientist looking to the telescope. Now the scientist walks away from the telescope, but the telescope thought it was the one that was seeing. So now the telescope believes it was seeing the stars. But it actually isn't seeing the stars, so what does it do? It sees from an idea, which we call the past. So basically, all you're doing most of the day, not you personally, but all this is doing is re-seeing, re-hearing, re-feeling, rehashing, and representing. That's what the mental process does. Most of us are living in interpretation. There's no life to it at all. Yeah? Conscious contact has already been claimed, and in its place, you get an interpretation from your head. So when something occurs, it reminds you of something that once occurred in this little fantasy realm called the past. What we talk about is what's happening is most people are living in what's not happening. Okay? So let's say what's not happening. One of the qualities of what's not happening is anything can happen now. So let's say you're sitting here, but your head is in next Friday. And you can only go into what's not happening through thought. There's no airports you can go. Yeah? You can't you know, make a reservation in a hotel. There's no like tour you're going to take in what's not happening. You go it alone through thought. Yes? And then there's also the past, another mental realm you can go. So in these what's not happening, what goes on? Right now, what's happening? There's no impending threat. Maybe boredom. You know, maybe I'll bore you to death, but there's no impending threat. There's just what's going on. So if you were sort of here, you would just respond and probably feel chilled out in this lovely space. Yeah. But many of the minds are in what's not happening. So maybe next Friday you have cancer. Maybe next Friday you're destitute. Maybe next Friday you know for sure your girlfriend's sleeping with your best friend. Maybe next Friday you're going to be at 6th and Market Street in the city. Yeah. So now you're reacting to what's not happening, and it's like a giant field that your mind harvests crops. And one of its great crops is anxiety. Yeah? So you start entertaining that you have cancer. It overrides your sense of well-being right now like that. Yeah? And now, from that what's not happening, you download into what's happening the crop of anxiety. <laughs> your body starts contracting. You start thinking, thinking, thinking. You don't think, but the mind goes off. Yeah? Da, da, da. And you now are reacting to what's not happening. Now, in Christianity, they say that Jesus brought someone who was alive back from, the, from death 
Lazarus, right? He resurrected Lazarus. But Lazarus was at least alive once. Then he died, and then he was brought back. We're the greatest miracle workers of all. We're going into what's not happening, that has no existence whatsoever, and we're bringing back something and giving it life now by entertaining it. Yeah? Anxiety is not fear. Fear is a valid emotion. Fear happens when something threatens you now. Anxiety is a mental product. Yeah? You must be a citizen of the mental realm to be entertaining a lot of anxiety. And so let's say fear 15 times in your life, that button goes off and you're afraid, the, the adrenaline and everything like that. Most of us, the mind has found this little button and it's creating a physiological effect of fear from nothing. You get zapped all day. Yeah? You can be on the most beautiful day and have four thoughts and the day's ruined. Yeah? Everything can go. You could be feeling so great and then a proclamation will come from what's not happening, but you missed your meditation this morning, then the day's interpreted as a bad day. You're living under a tyranny. Soul or no soul. Soul is just an idea. The body being the, the clothes of a soul. Point out where a soul is. Let me see it. Bring it here. Let's feel it, taste it, and touch it. It's a mental idea. It's a mental idea because the mind, the selfing, wants to be long-lasting. And what better way to be long-lasting than be a soul and transmigrate from life to life to life? That is like the biggest deal. We, you know, the churches are unbelievable. They tell you, it may, you know, you're going to get a payoff, but it may take lifetimes. You know, can you imagine you went to Best Buy and you ordered a computer? And they said, well, it may take about 400 years to get it, but there's a good deal on it, so buy it now. And maybe lifetimes, but here we are, accepting that, you know. You've got to purify more. You've got to do this more. It's always based on you again, isn't it? If in selfing, you and I are living in a special somewhere, soul or no soul, a special somewhere, which excludes everywhere. Everywhere may become an experience you want to have as a special somewhere, but you only have it in your little special somewhere. Yeah? Everywhere is being excluded by your idea of being a self. It now becomes something you may want to achieve or not achieve. Yeah? But if everywhere was everywhere, like when I was a kid, I was a Catholic, and uh, they would say that God had three qualities. He's omnipotent, omnipresent, and uh, omniscient. So he's everywhere. Why aren't you bumping into it? Why aren't you feeling like you're rubbing shoulders with God today? If it's everywhere, why aren't we having a sense of it? We must be living in a little gated community <laughs> called my special somewhere. This little idea of being a self in a mental realm can exclude everywhere. And what it does, it really gets you because it makes it like a forbidden fruit at some time, I felt it once when I was young, or I'm going to get it after doing da-da-da-da-dee-dee-dee-da-da-da-da. -da 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 -da. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? The mental realm, it creates the most exquisite suffering, doesn't it? Because let's say you're with someone you, and you're not really paying much attention to them. But now they leave, and suddenly they become the source of all your happiness. Yeah? So the wanting something you don't have creates exquisite suffering, doesn't it, in the mental realm? And yet, when you had it, you didn't really appreciate it whatsoever. <laughs> How could... Hold on, hold on. Right? So here's this, this self thing that we're identified as. Yes? 
And here's the mind, like in Buddhism, they say the ordinary mind and the enlightened mind are the same mind, exact same mind, yes. So here's the mind. The mind is his ability to entertain. It can entertain serenity, no peace. It's totally, it's unbelievable. And now it's been entertaining that it's a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And now all of its ability to entertain is now claimed by that system. And every time it entertains, it entertains as a self defined by that system. So when it entertains peace, it's always in the future or a memory of the past. So here you go. Now the mind's advertising going off. It's advertising what's going to happen to you next Friday, let's say. What's giving it such an incredible production value? Do you think the advertising is that good? It's what's entertaining it. It's the mind that's entertaining the advertising of the selfing that gives it all of its juice. The exquisiteness of the mental suffering cannot be produced by the mental process. It can only be produced by what's entertaining it, that mind. That mind, that ability to entertain, now being subjugated on the selfing, is what causes you to have those exquisite suffering moments. Not the advertising. Because once you see it, you see it is so bogus, it's lame. I mean, it's playing on the same thing it's been playing on for years in you. I'm a loser. I'll never be loved. What's, what's, <laughs> on and on and on and on. It's so old and so transparent, but you can't see it when you're identified as its center. And it's not the advertising that's hooking you. It's what's entertaining the advertising. That mind can make heaven or hell here. It's just what it's entertaining. And the thing is, there is an energy called faith, let's say. We call it faith. And everyone in this room has tons of faith. Everybody. But faith manifests here by what vehicle it's put in. Faith manifests here, in this place, this realm, whatever you want to call it, by what vehicle it's put in. The greatest devotees, you see, let's say in spirituality, that's the thing. But the greatest devotees of conditional mind, this is their prayer. They're worrying. <laughs> They're cooking up stews, unbelievable. Just like this. They're believing every thought, every thought that's appearing in their head, in that system, they're taking it to be about them or they're with a thinker of them. They are so bound to it. And that faith is what's causing the exquisiteness of the suffering. The same faith, just like one faith in mind is obsession with self, the other faith in, in that large mind is abiding in peace. It's the same energy. It's just what, it, what it's put in. If it's put in mind, it's called obsession with self. The thinking is agitated and it just generates, it spawns more and more thoughts. That same energy, if put in the mind, is what you call abidance and peace. It's the exact energy. Same, same. So, for me, it was recognizing I'm not that. So I heard this message. And of course, the first thing that hears the message is the selfing. So like I used to tell a story about the sheeps and the lion. It's an old uh, Papaji story where there's a, uh, a young lion and a mother and uh, the, the mother dies and the young lion is abandoned. And the young lion doesn't really know what it is yet and can't find anyone to help it. So it sees this herd of sheep. 
And so it starts moving towards the sheep, and the sheep recognizes it's a lion, and so they try to run away, but they realize the lion doesn't even know it's a lion. So they let it join the herd. And now for the next few years, the lion tries to be the best sheep it can be. Yeah. It's trying to ba ba, you know, and everyone's sitting around talking about who will be the next sweater, and, and it's trying to seem to be real concerned. It's going out with sheep and everything, you know. But something's off. It's not working for it, yeah? And then one day a big lion comes into the meadow and sees that it wants to eat something. So it sees the sheep herd and so starts chasing the sheep. And then it looks out of this corner of its eye and it sees a lion running and it thinks it's joining the hunt. But then it recognizes it's running away from him. So then it, it stops going after the sheep and runs after the young lion. And the young lion rolls on its back and says, please, please, Mr. Lion, I'm just a humble sheep. Don't eat me. And the old lion is very, very perplexed by this, doesn't say anything, just grabs that young lion and drags it over to this pond of water. And he sticks both of their heads over, and they see the reflections. Yeah? And immediately, the young lion wakes up. Now, the old lion says, roar, and the young lion roars. It doesn't have to take three months of roaring workshops. Yes? As soon as it recognized its nature, its nature was applicable that moment. There was no process to sort of infuse it or, or ignite it or, you know, jump it. That would all be selfing. It just infused immediately. Yeah? Now, what happens here, the message is, hey, you're a lion. Yeah. So, okay, you hear it. So there's the message. You're a lion. 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 And it hits your sheep ears. Yeah? And as soon as it hits here, it gets translated into, I can become like a lion. That's not the message, all right? You're a lion, all right? You're a lion, you're a lion, you're a lion. And you're going, yeah, yeah, you're a lion, you're a lion. And your mind's already framing it as the way it wants to see it. Oh, yeah, do, do. oh, I can become like a lion. That's not the message. That's why you also, instead of just being an inviter, you've got to be an, an ear and eye doctor. You've got to check it out. <laughs> so here you go. So the sheep, so let's say the sheep get the sense of wanting to be a lion. So what do they do? They buy pictures of old lions, yeah? and they get a little meeting hall like this, and they put the pictures up, and they have candles, and they start having roaring lessons, and everyone's roaring, but they sound like baas, you know, ba ba. Oh, you're getting better there. No, no, you sound just like a sheep. You know what I mean? They're straightening their hair, <laughs> trying to create a mane. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fake teeth or anything. And they're very, they feel they're, it's really, they're very noble. Yes, we want to become like a lion. We want to become like a lion. It sounds really good, but the fact is, all that becoming like a lion is reaffirming the lie that they're a sheep. Like if when I heard this message, I was like an unspoken yes, that was it. It wasn't that was it, meaning that was it. That was it. Something caught the message prior to the mental process claiming it, yeah? And that, it was an unspoken yes, and that was it for me. Yeah. What happens with a lot of us, you have that with probably a lot of times when you've been at someone. Something resonates, but then the mental process claims it, and then it neuters it. It deballs it. Yeah? It becomes another practice and another process. Then you log in how many meetings like this? Thousands of them, hundreds of them. And, and everyone's just still waiting to get it.
expressed maybe very subtly or very, very crudely, there's an idea of what it is. And by holding that idea and claiming that idea, that's what makes you a self, in a sense. And that self is never going to be here to get it. It always wants to put time in it and push it away so it can be safely on a practice or a path, reinforcing it every step, every step of the way when it's telling you that, oh, you're really moving up the road to freedom. <laughs> it's just bondage. What's the difference between an iron chain and a gold chain? There's still a bondage yeah, to self. I mean self as a small self. From recovery, we call self a small self. That sense of a being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. It's a thought wrapped with a feeling. Yeah? There's a sense of vagueness that I'm a someone, that I am the telescope. And once I take this self to be the telescope, once the object takes itself to be the subject, then subjectivity has to be cast as an object to you. So now the truth is something you're trying to practice. The whole message for me was recognizing the object as just that. Yeah? And it can be a collapsing moment, but then it explodes into that universal subjectivity. Yeah? Because right now, that mind is like put into a very small shoe and it's a very big foot. It's in this little shoebox of self-centeredness. It's like... Its ability to entertain, you can entertain infinity. You can entertain space. You can entertain emptiness, literally, emptiness. Yeah. It's like taking, taking a marathon runner and putting it in your cellar and making a four-by-four-foot track <laughs> and having your mind entertaining the same old, same old every day. What's going to happen to me? What happened to me? What does it mean, what happened to me? What's going to happen to me? Yeah? It's just entertaining the same old, same old every day. It, when, it's, when, it, when that identification is seen as maybe not, me, not being me, you'll get so many free samples of the size of mind. Because peace will not be entertained as a goal that's going to be achieved by you in time. It will be recognized as a state now. And it had nothing to, to do with you doing or having anything. Like when we walked in here, just to get ready for the talk is too late. This is prior to all movements and all ideas of non-movement. It's prior to that. There's no way, it's sort of like, it's verbing. Being is being. There's no place where you enter it and there's no place you get off. That, that would be the realm of a noun. A noun thinks it can enter a verb, but verbs don't enter verbs. It's just verbing. It's just consciousness in contact. So mind, here it is, entertaining, I'm that, this, yes? It's sort of like giving, let's say we were in a jazz club, and we, uh, John Coltrane was there. And so someone said, hey, John, riff on the idea of separation. All right? Here he goes. This is what's happening. The mind is entertaining separation, isn't it? This isn't real, so how can it feel so real? It must be something incredible that's entertaining it to be real. How could something that has no reality seem so real to us? What's entertaining it must be unbelievable. 
that mind that we are is entertaining what we're not. And it's riffing on that. You can believe that someone who will, you will never have an opportunity to meet again is the source of your happiness. You believe that only one time in your life the bus came by and you missed it. If I would have only signed up and lived with that guru, everything would have been different. No, it wouldn't. Just another fucking story. In a sense, the joy is you have no relevance whatsoever. And the relaxation we were talking about the other day, I don't care how many times you get a massage as a self, it's not like the relaxation of not being that. <laughs> you can get all the body work you want. <laughs> when you entertain I'm not that, there's just a dropping down into a certain level of relaxation that I could have never entertained as a self, ever. Because if I could have, I probably would have. Because everything has to be put off in time and space with you having everything that occurs based on your behavior. Now, if let's say we make God a, an object, and then it seems to be, all right, I want to know God. Isn't that a sort of quite arrogant position? So now, I was living and not knowing it. Now I'm going to, oh, I think I want to know God now. I would say, who's the bigger God in that? The God that you are calling God or the God that you're acting like? That's the selfing. That's the root of the dilemma for me. And I don't want to do anything about it at all except realize I'm not that. Once I realize I'm not that, the mind comes out of the shoebox. Now it can entertain serenity and peace, not as something that's based on what I did or didn't do, but as a state, as a condition of my nature. Yeah. I could never have done any of these talks because the only reason why I've ever done it is because I never showed up for any of them. If I did, I would have had a reason why I, didn't, I couldn't do it tonight. Yeah, my mind would have said, hey, you would talk badly to that lady earlier. <laughs> okay, I would have. You know, immediately, like they talk about the gateless gate, a gate would have been erected and my little mind would play the gatekeeper. Oh, yes, you've been really good lately, so I'll give you five minutes apiece. All right, get in. Come on out. Get out of here. Get back on the treadmill. Work harder. Meditate more. Give me a break. <laughs> so, I like the, the approach, I'm not that. Because as soon as I'm in that approach, I'm not that, that's what I am. I don't need to do anything to go in that direction. All I have to see is I'm not that. In that, in that moment, that's seeing. Yeah? I'm seeing I'm not that. So now all the forms are, looking, are, are just dismissed, and there's the natural state of seeing that's not predicated on what I do or don't do, or what I think or don't think, or what I have or don't have. It's not predicated on anything. It's always so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
just matters who hears it. <laughs> if it's the you, then it isn't so good news. That's, that's a good time to take chances. Follow your gut and see what happens. Yeah? You'll never know. Like if, if this quality is to catch you, you'll never know unless you fall. You've got to give it a shot. Follow your gut. Yeah. I don't like the head or the heart. I like the gut. That's different to me. Follow your gut and be accountable for what happens. The only way I can truly be accountable is that I'm not. <laughs> That's what finally saved me. See, my life was about making things that seemed so real unreal. That's what I did since I was a kid. Because I had family members who I really loved die when I was young. My grandmother and my father. Yeah? And it overwhelmed my little apparatus big time. And I shut down. And so my reliance on the mental process became extreme. So I started to rely on the mental process that was producing selfing. And its solution was, let's make things unreal here. Yeah? So I immediately started reading Edgar Allan Poe and science fiction. Then I went to school. And then I started to drink and use as soon as I can. And then that, when that ran out, I started to try to become spiritual. Yeah? All the while, I was trying to make what seemed so real unreal. Yeah? Each way, reading, spirituality, and addiction, same thing. And then finally one day it just hit me, I'm just going to let it be as real as it wants to be, finally. Yeah? And when I let everything be as real as it wants to be, it showed me its true nature, it's unreal. Its reality was what I was giving it by trying to make it unreal. By trying to make this place unreal, I make it fucking real. Yeah? I have no problem with this place anymore. I don't want to take my clothes off. So, it's, see, people think as soon as you realize they were closed, you take them off. Why? You keep wearing them. You know, they're just closed. But why does it immediately, the mind always thinks, oh, well, if you'd realize it, then you would take them off. No. Just truck around. Yeah. So, everything, if it's just let be, you will see its true nature. It's not real. It's like the chair is only a chair because you may want it to be different. <laughs> you want it to be a couch. Yeah? You find some fault in that chair. That's like, is it reality? When you see things as they are, they're not. It's like in Zen, they say, first there is the mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is the mountain. So first there is the mountain. So everything is as real as real can be. Yeah? Then you have maybe a, what you call an awakening. Then you realize there is no mountain. But then very quickly, there's mountains. It isn't like there's never a mountain again. There never was a mountain. 
It wasn't like there was a real mountain and it disappeared. There was never a mountain. So, let the appearance... <laughs> There's just an appearance of mountains. That's all it was from the beginning. Yeah? You, you and I are giving everything all the meaning it has. That's what we do as an apparatus. We give meaning to things. Don't you? Now, the, that's part of the looking. Is the part of the looking is giving meaning to things. Seeing sees that. Yeah. Sees what gives the meaning to things. Yeah. It doesn't see from it, which would be looking. It sees it. Yeah. As soon as I, selfing is giving most of our lives the meaning it has. That's what it does. It's like a system that's projecting a reality for us. Exactly. It's the it's the the taking of the verb as the noun that starts claiming everything. Yeah. So instead of seeing the verb, you claim as you're the one that's doing the verb, and then opinions about should I have done that as a verb, and yeah yeah yeah, and then the mental realm expands unbelievably, and you're basically you and I are up the ass of self, literally. We're just stuck way up there. And then hopefully something will happen and you'll get your head will be pulled out and there'll be a pop. And you'll, you'll wake up and go, wow. Yeah? But then if you go like this and go, oh, I, let's just see this. You know an epiphany? People have epiphanies? You've heard of them? Yeah, it's like a, it's like when uh, the linear story of your life gets interrupted, yeah? Something occurs and then your life is unadorned as a self. So let's say, has anyone here made a reservation for an epiphany? At any time. Did you call ahead and say, I, I got one coming on Friday. Get the Kenny G music and the bath and the candles. I think it's going to be a long one, too. I, I ordered four hours, you know. Well, appearances of Krishna and everything else. Uh, right? No, no one. It just happens, doesn't it? Breaks in and it sort of intervenes on your linear mental story. And you're unadorned at that time with the being the noun. That's the epiphany. But watch what happens. I bet you if you look at it, when did the epiphany end? I bet you it was very, very simultaneous with this thought. I just had this incredible epiphany. <laughs> and as soon as that goes, I just had this incredible epiphany, there's a feeling in that of you being a historical person before the epiphany. It's not just that. This production isn't bad. So here it goes. I just had this incredible epiphany. And... I didn't have it, so let me go over what I did to have this epiphany. So let's... <laughs> and you'll go to extreme lengths. You'll try to go back to that same place with, the, like, the, it was a full moon, get there on the full moon night, you know, wait for a stormy night, and you'll try to get all the conditions that you thought caused this epiphany. It had nothing to do with the epiphany. Yeah? You had nothing to do with the epiphany. You did not have the epiphany. The epiphany was a free sample of the, actually the state that, that is so. Yeah? Where the emphasis and my attention and interest were, was dismissed from the selfing and allowed to entertain what? What's so? It translates as a freedom here, but that's what's so. Yeah? 
So here it goes. All right, I had this incredible epiphany. Then what do you usually do? Don't you call people up and start comparing your epiphanies to other people's epiphanies? And then you get, you know, look at your little graph. I've had five epiphanies, and they have eight. Oh, Jesus Christ. And that, and that. It's insane, isn't it? As soon as something as far from self as you could be is claimed by self. Like that. And it's nuded immediately. And now the epiphany is like something that you have on your little mantelpiece. Oh, look at this epiphany I had one time. As if you had it. Yes, I caught it, you know, in Bali and then it was right there. And I had this other one in India. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I had this one at Mel's Diner. What? Yeah, that was very unusual. And so, hey, come on over and uh, we're going to sit and meditate for a while. And then, yeah, look at these. Yeah, look at this. Jesus Christ. Wouldn't you like to have one of them? You can't have it, actually. But, it's insanity. It's totally insanity. You have to see the nature of mind. It claims everything. Yes? So the space where identification occurs or disidentification occurs, space is always here. Yeah. Once we recognize that we're, that we're identifying in a way that's causing suffering and we make an effort Seeing. So, just by recognizing misidentification doesn't mean that we're seeing all that well. To who? To ourselves. Okay, that's a good. Seeing. Because, I mean, we are growing in our lives and learning. Aren't we capable of learning about seeing? Yeah, very capable, but it doesn't translate into seeing. You can learn a lot about seeing, but that's... No, I don't know. I'm more like the the lion and the roar. I'm not into roaring workshops. I'm not, because if you look at, let's say you believe you're a self, right? And you think that's what's driving you crazy. And then you sign up for two years of intensive classes of how to get out of self. Wouldn't that be really being in self? The activity of it? Being so consumed about getting out of it, that would actually be, be the activity of being in it, wouldn't it? Well, I don't quite mean... I know that. I'm just bringing yeah, another thing. You know, I'm just thinking just... You know, I, I guess I'm so partial to, even though I don't really do it very much myself, is sitting in silence. Well, you know, if that was the case with you, I wouldn't take any, if anyone said anything different, you're your own authority, bro. Yeah. I just joke around meditation because I did a lot of it for years. Yeah. And uh, I didn't, what was occurring when I was doing it all, seemingly, was that paradigm of selfing, which is 
you as the doer and haver. And that was neutering any effect it could have really had. It not, there was no radical thing occurred in it. It was just Paul getting better, and then Paul getting worse, and then Paul having to sign up for another longer one to get more better, and then Paul going back and getting worse again. It was, it was just ridiculous to me. So I'm not, I just joke around about it because I like to, uh, I like to irritate people. <laughs> I do. I think it's helpful. Yeah, uh, the sense I have is there's a, um, this is meditated. Yeah? When I'm sitting here, while, while this is going on, there's a tension going this way, and there's a tension going this way. Yeah? Before, when my attention went, and the attention is drawn out for all of us. Yeah? This is the dream here. Yeah? So this part of our attention goes out, but another part goes back. And what occurs, though, when there's an identification as self, all the attention goes to that. It becomes like a loop of self-importance. So everything I attend to, I don't attend, you know, but attention goes and I meet. It, it's other movement, because remember, this is dualistic here. All movements, inhalation, exhalation, left, right hemisphere, even the movement of attention is, has a this way and a that way. So here's this way and that way going. So I'm looking at you, and then the attention goes back here, and for most of us, it's reflecting on being a self. That's what it's doing. It's, the attention now goes to the sense that I'm looking at you. <laughs> the looking is totally forgotten, really. The seeing is totally underappreciated, and now the emphasis is on I'm looking at you. So everything, it's sort of like the attention is, just has this movement, but it runs into this mental billboard with me with a big happy face there, or a sad face. So all my attention, every time it meets anything, it gets brought back to me. <laughs> it's so lovely. Have you ever been in love with someone and you lost yourself in them, and it wasn't a reflecting of you about it? Isn't that, a, it's a beautiful event. Well, here it is. So there you're going like this, looking at the person. And then the attention, like, boomeranging back, and but it goes back to you, a you. This is in place when you're identified as a self. That's what it does. All your attention is going into this black hole of selfing, yes? What would happen if you entertain I'm not that? This opaqueness that you believe is the Alpha and Omega, this is me, everything begins and ends with me. Can you imagine if you would question its opaqueness and your attention went through it? Yeah? Not but what would you see? You would see infinity and see from infinity. It's worth more than 800 scriptural pages. That. Yeah? It goes through the opaqueness of the mind's presentation of you. And because it finally woke up and started to question, and it sees its own, its original face, like they say in Zen. So you see your original face, which is not the billboard. Right, not meditation. That, to me, is true meditation, and it's being meditated now. Yes? So when that attention never, never stops, because it never started. So that attention, when it, goes, when it goes through the billboard, yeah, it travels in infinity, but that's true rest. Yeah? When it rests on this, it's agitation. When it rests on Paul, 
It's total agitation. But it, when it rests in infinity, it's rest. It's peace. Yeah? You would think when it stopped here, but it would be, no, it gets totally agitated. But when it goes through and it's swimming in this huge thing and it seems to be so active, that's rest. That's peace. The attention is freed from the bondage to itself. Yeah? Your interest and attention now gets distributed, not from selfing, but from that. Yeah? You'll notice it. Some, you'll be walking down the street and something will just move your head and you'll see something. Yeah? And then tons of coincidences will start to happen. You'll see life in a whole different way. Because what will be giving life the meaning is won't be the selfing, but it will be coming from some other place than selfing. And it, it demands an alertness because you don't know. Like in Zen, they call it the highest state of mind. I don't know. Well, you don't know. <laughs> it's the most easiest state to accept because it's the fact. You don't know. In that alertness, in that insecurity is true security. You travel lighter. Totally. You can never catch me. I'll lie to you like that. I don't care. I can't not be holding to anything I say. For me, if you hear the words, you've missed the whole message. It's a conveyance of something. There's some juice, I hope, that something is sensed. Yes? That you know already prior to speaking or understanding. There's a prior understanding to this fucking thing. This understanding is defined by a very small frame. It's sort of like you want to know God, but your knowing God frames it in such a small portal that so little of it can come into your life and actually translate into your daily living. That is something you plan to do on the weekend. Yeah? But actually translates into a, a traveling lighter. Yeah? Here. I mean, you give up the need to be liberated greatest relief of all. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. wants to step out of itself and it doesn't know how. Hallelujah. <laughs> Stay in that pause. The biggest problem in my life when I was out there running as an addict was I'd run into, I didn't know what to do, but I always did something. <laughs> and it created tons of consequences. Now I live in a, in a sense of a pause because I don't know what to do. And that's okay. To the mind, that's not okay in the selfing. It does not like to rest and I don't know what to do. I know, exactly. But you're not that. You're not that. You're, all you're be, see, if you believe you're that, you can never entertain being free of it. All you can entertain is getting it better, maybe socializing it so it won't fuck up at the next picnic, or maybe you'll have a month-long relationship once, or whatever. But if you realize you're not that, your mind can immediately entertain being free of it. Right? Really. Who is? Uh, 
See, but when it says fuck this as a self, then you're really getting fucked. Yeah, see, that's what you got to see to me. See, let me tell you one thing with this. When I was first heard this message, what occurred was I was seeing states of mind, but I thought what was seeing the state of mind was me. And then I heard this message, and the, the circle got a little wider, and I realized that was just the state of mind. Yeah? And every once in a while there would be an aspect of my mind, because it really wants to be an authentic self, which would rise up and sort of be on the rim of the content and look down at the content and go, oh, I now see the content of mind as if it was in the context. But then, let's say I fall for that, and then suddenly something would occur and the circle would get bigger. Like Ramana said a beautiful thing, Ramana Maharshi said, all right, you're sitting in a movie theater and you're watching the movie, and you realize it's not real, yeah? You're in the auditorium. You're super clear. This is just a movie. It's not real. But you're an assumption that you're real. He says, the bigger movie is you sitting in the auditorium watching a movie. <laughs> yeah? There is no place where there's an authentic self. And the mind will always attempt to rise up and claim it. The sense of being an authentic self. Yes? But if you get six or seven of those examples, maybe you'll be convinced. Some people may have to go through 80. Some maybe one. But the same principles all, there is never an authentic self. There is no place where anything stops for you to observe from. Yeah? This is all verbing. There's no noun to be found here. There's none. It's just... Noticing is very important when you believe it's you. But after that's not seen, the noticing really gets distilled. You're not really busy noticing what you're not much anymore. Really. But you keep emphasizing the importance of seeing that. Like all of this does mean nothing unless one sees that. Yeah? And what we're doing, and those of us that are sort of stuck in identification with the self, are saying, well, what, what, <laughs> what leads to that seeing? Yeah. Nothing leads to the seeing. That's, see, it's so immediate, if anything led to it, it wouldn't be it. You can't add one inch to this. All I can do is repeat. That's all I do. I do three talks a week. I've been doing it for years. We put it out every week, over and over again. It's like, because the mail slot is conceptual, yeah? So you put the envelope in, and then you think you get it. So you open it up, Yeah? And you look at the envelope, and you may be excited about it, but after a while, you get nothing, really. This is, you're absolutely getting nothing here. And your mind is going to get bored with it, really. After a couple, a couple of years, you'll go back to Buddhism or something, you know, something. So you can do something, yeah? Because a fighter is like not doing anything. Fuck. Yeah? So, but let's say, so every time he gets the invitation, the conditional mind goes, oh, fuck it, and throws the envelope away. But now, maybe, just maybe... One of them gets thrown right in front of the mind, and the mind may just see it and go, what? It's now been introduced to a possibility. I'm not that? Bingo. 
Now it's seeing is freed from the looking. And that's that. And maybe you'll need some repetition, but as soon as, as the mind is seeing, right now it's defined as someone who's looking, but it's seeing. If it can entertain the possibility I'm not that, what gets restored, what was never not restored, which is the seeing. Yeah? So we, I, one thing I, I like here is repetition. I do. I like to just invite and invite and invite and invite. Because you never know when the, like the mind's like a lazy Susan. You never know when the right slot's going to be open and it's going to go right to the heart of the matter. Yeah? So you just, just keep putting them in, putting them in, putting them in. And then my job is to become obsolete. Totally. This is like the worst career choice you could ever make. If there was any self-will, I made a bad mistake. Because I'm meant to be obsolete. You're your own authority. You don't need any more saviors. They always fail you. you know? You're your own authority. This is doom here. You know? Hopefully you'll think kindly of me. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully you'll feel kindly for me. But I will be obsolete in that manner. Yeah? I'm just a mailman. You don't go home with the mailman, do you? I'm just inviting you. Here you go. You don't have to come move in with me. Sort mail with me. No, I wouldn't want you to. <laughs> this year. Yeah. It matters who it is. I like, I, I come from recovery, which service is very, very important. Because it is a way to get a sense of being out of self. Yeah? And I like service. See, see for me, in recovery, what would happen to us, we're so consumed with us, yes? Alcoholism, the root of it is obsession with self. That's what it is. We're extreme examples of self-centeredness. Actually, normal people have a lot to learn from us because we're, we're like, we're painting, we're painting self-centeredness with a broad brush. You can recognize how insane the mind is looking at an alcoholic. But, so we do a lot of service, yeah? So to get out of ourselves. And when you get out of yourself, what do you feel? This is how I explain it. You feel available for once, yeah? Not just to you, not just to the mental realm, but available to what's happening. And when you're available to what's happening, you're going to bump into presence. This presence is what's happening. Yes? So you get a hit of presence. So what occurs, though? The self being reaffirms itself, and then you feel terrible, then you do service again. And you learn to do service so that you'll feel available and sense the presence. But what would happen if that time you sense the presence, you entertain it to be you? I am that presence. That immediately makes me available. And immediately makes me of service. Yeah? The presence immediately makes me always available and of service. So then maybe you do formal service or not. It doesn't matter anymore because you got it. You've, the mind has entertained what being of service is, which is being present and being available, not to selfing, but to its own nature. Yeah? So I like... If, if you have the illness of mind called selfing, service is incredible. I do these talks in Toronto to normal people. Usually I speak to recovered, you know. And when I was there, I was like, I didn't have any urge to say anything because they seemed to be fine to me. I mean, alcoholics are suffering unbelievably, so I'm into them, you know. But they seemed to be fine, so I was just telling them, go to a 
soup kitchen. Don't come back to the afternoon meeting. Go help somebody, not a family member, but some stranger. They'll do a whole lot more than reading a book and seeing me. So, yeah, I, I like service quite a lot. Who likes it? <laughs> when you really, if you recognize something was a pair of clothes, would it immediately make you take it off? You may like wearing it. I like this shirt. You see, the mind is crazy. You think it's going to be a certain way. It's not that way at all. In my, in, for me, it wasn't, it's just not that way. It's just you lose interest. That's presence. Yeah. Ever, ever ready? Yes, that's right. Ever ready. <laughs> you got my little subtle hint I wore this year. Ever ready. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. You got to milk out the next 40 minutes, man. Some money for this. It's just a joy. Yes? The point is here to travel lighter. Why would you want to be right if it's killing you? Yeah? The mind wants to be right and relevant. That's what it does. It wants to be special. It's driving, it's living to be special. Yeah, isn't it? Jesus. And it lives incessantly on hope. Someday I'll arrive. We have this thing, I'll give you an example we use a lot, which is the couch. I was sitting, I'm sitting in my little one-bedroom apartment, and everything's fine. Quite happy, everything's cool. And I'm looking at a magazine, and there's a big full-color layout of a couch. And I like the couch. My mind goes, hey. And then I look at my room, and I realize it's couchless, Yeah. There's no couch. And I was just feeling totally okay. Now I'm not feeling happy because I've recognized my life is couchless. Yeah? And then I start thinking. I immediately go into the mental realm, and I start thinking about how many people I know who have couches who have never told me how important it is to have a couch. So I start resenting those people. And then I start entertaining. I bet you I'll conceive my first child on this couch. Yes, my whole life will be sprung out of these... He's out of this couch. And now, that moment that I was fine with is now not enough. Yeah? So in the mental realm, the couch becomes, there's the here I'm in, the couch becomes a there. And now my mind starts working towards getting there. And every moment it's working towards getting there, it is the invalidation of here. Because it's already condemned it by saying it's couchless. Yeah? And now I'm busily working towards that couch. And, that, and then I'm calling up my friends. The delivery's coming this Saturday. And none of, nobody seems as excited as I thought they would be because they've been through the couch event. You know? But I'm really excited. I'm going to get the couch. And they bring the couch in. I made space for it. And they bring the beautiful couch in. And I sit on it. And I feel the mental joy of having what I want. And in five minutes, I look around and I realize I need a matching rug. So now the mythical there that my mind said, I'll really arrive when I get the couch, has now become a here, which is not enough. And now another mythical there is introduced. What's happening all day? Yeah? 
Well, there are thoughts attached. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, see, the best way for the mind to convince mind is not just through thought, but thought with feeling. It's a much more thorough wallop. Yeah? So, haven't you noticed? When, let's say, you're having an obsession in your head, it's bad enough, but when it's matched with feelings, it's a real wallop, isn't it? Like the, uh, the production value goes way up. Yeah? So the mind knows that the best way to get the attention of mind, the mental process, is to wrap a thought with a feeling. Yeah? And immediately, if you identify as that, you enter the mental realm. then it will pass. It will pass, because everything that comes goes. Just like a thought. A thought's nature is to come and go. Do you, do you feel like a thought is coming from Oakland for you right now? Can you, you know, I, I can feel it's coming. No. It's just a scene, because you're not thinking them. You're seeing them. Yeah? Like if I was looking out the window, and a bird flew by, and my eye was open, I'd see the bird. There would be no choice in the matter. I may have an opinion. I didn't want to see the bird, but I would see it. Yeah? So the thoughts are being seen. So here's a thought comes, and you see it. Now, the mental reaction to it is, it's my thought. It's the my, the act of identifying, which is the heaviness of the thought, not the thought itself. The thought is just a thought. It's like a carrier. What happens is, when the... When the thought is held as I'm the thinker of them or they're about me, yeah? then that thought gets injected with meaning from your filing system. Because what your idea of you is just represents tons of files of ideas and thoughts. Yes? Speculations, everything. So there's the thought coming. And then I w if I just saw it, it would come just like it, and it would go just like it came. But when there's a seeing of it, I think it's about me or I'm the thinker of it, that bonds me to it, my, right? I've claimed it, yeah? Now, Paul tags all those files and some old ideas get injected into that thought. So let's say thoughts weighed an ounce, and you have, a, let's say, a thousand thoughts a day going through your head. And you're, you're used to traveling carrying a thousand ounces every day. Maybe on the weekend there'd be less, on the weekdays when you're working there'd be more, right? But you're used to traveling. There's a thousand ounces. Now, let's take that thought and put the word my in front of it, which is the act of being identified. And now every thought that's been identified weighs a pound. What would be the difference if you were carrying a thousand pounds or a thousand ounces a day? You'd be traveling a lot lighter with the thousand ounces, wouldn't you? And you'd be traveling a lot heavier with the thousand pounds. That's what's happening. Thoughts are just thoughts until they become yours. Then they're the beginning of a story. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I get that. Again, yeah. more the physical. So the physical thing, if the thought, if the reaction to it, yes? If there's a my pain or my, I get that. Yeah. Then that's when yeah, that's yes, yes. Yeah. It moves, comes in, and has its life, does its dance, and it moves out. But there's a prior thought, there's a prior feeling you may not be aware of, which is that contraction of selfing, yes? That selfing contraction, that fear, that, it, that it's like all that mind being compressed into a, all of its attention on this little bit of reference point, 
It's contracting, contracting, contracting. There's a lot of anxiety there. A lot of, like, uh, it's almost like metal. You have a, you can, sometimes you can uh, embrace someone who's totally in their head. They're like a metal rod, yeah? There's that contraction. All the feelings are coming and going. You may not be aware of that feeling. Some people call it the iron ball in your gut or something. But there is a lock, yes? The mind has a lock in its little possession, the body. It can even be a, see, there's no selfing, period, even with the contraction. Yeah? I can't, because if you say no selfing, no contraction, that would give, you put one thing up to get rid of contraction. Yeah? I don't even want to give it that. See, for me, in a way, after a while, I just lost interest in all of it. There's like no vigilance or anything. Because if you recognize it's always so, then it's taken under the, it's only seemingly so sometimes to me. I needed that because this thing was playing God in my life. And in in that courtroom, I was convicted. I had been judged. I was on probation. In a sense, I had to have the whole, my whole case brought into the court of light and get annulled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the selfing was the judge, the defendant, the prosecutor, the jury. It was just ridiculous. And uh, I mean, how, when was the last time you walked in a room and the emphasis was on the walking instead of the thinking? Most of us are just, you ever see the dogs when they have, they have mange or something and they put those cones on them? If you saw ourselves energetically, we're like, we're just walking around in this mental realm. We got these cones and we're just going into this realm, living in this realm. And even when you think you're totally in your body, it's usually in the mental conception of the body. I can see that. No. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been adding myself, and I, I think my general solution is to just self as much as I can, and maybe I'll get tired of it. Like, I just keep going more into the obsession. I tried that. There we go. No. no, it didn't work for me. You can't transcend what isn't so. It wasn't a moment of all moments. It was just, I don't think anything ever happened to anybody. I don't know what happened, to tell you the truth. I have no idea. See, when the emphasis shifts, it it shifts off of what would be emphasizing what happened to it. (laughs) I don't know how to say it better. There's just a shift of emphasis in one's life, and then you're... You're really not that concerned about you. Um, 
a lot of levels. I'm concerned about the body. Yeah? I have a hernia right now. I hate to break the news to anyone. You know, you know I have concerns about that. But the, the concern, that drenching of selfing is... The interest and attention has been freed from that, and now it's spread out, yeah? And it can go where it's drawn to, not enslaved to, but drawn, yeah? And I'm really curious about mind, you know? Totally enthused about traveling. It's, for me, your ability to entertain can only be matched by that, that infinite space. Everything else will turn into neurosis here. If you're entertaining yourself as a body, you're going to become neurotic. The mind's just way too big to entertain something so small. It's, it meets its match when it starts entertaining. I'm not this. And in that act of recognizing, and it's an entertaining, it's not a statement. I'm not this, that's what you are. I'm not that, boom. Yeah? And in that, there'll never be an end of entertaining. All there is is that. So I don't know what to do. I would just, if you're drawn to hear these messages, hear them and see what occurs. Yeah. I don't know. for you. I did this one when I was younger in recovery because I had a strong sense of entitlement, if you know what that means. Yeah? I thought I had a lot coming to me. <laughs> I got a lot, but I didn't expect what came. But I used to always have no gratitude. So when something would start happening that was nice, I would always say a little statement and it was, thank you God, that was more than enough. Because nothing was ever more than, was ever enough for me out there when I was running around. And in a way, I used it for about four or five years, and then one day I stopped and I never used it again. So there are some things, I guess, that will work until they don't work.
There's just a seeing of it. It's always trying to represent it as it. Yeah? It doesn't, the, the, the nature of the mental process doesn't change. It's the emphasis, because what I notice, it really isn't the mental process. It was the mind that was entertaining the mental process. That's what gave it such juice and such flavor. Yeah? Well, the mental process is what's trying, let's say, it's trying to claim this as an event that happened to it. Yeah? So that's, that's, its, that's its modus operandi, is the claim. When the emphasis got left that, yeah, the mind sees that, but doesn't see from it. Yeah? And basically, its allure wasn't based on it, it was based on what was entertaining it. So when, and the allure was so alluring because you were identified with it. When you're not identified with it, it's not that alluring. It seemed to be very same old, same old. Really, it doesn't have any new tricks. It's the same old card all the time. And so what was causing you not to see wasn't the advertising, but what was identified with the center point of the advertising, the self. There's never, there's no one ever caught in it. But yeah, sometimes it's louder. Sometimes it's not loud at all. Sometimes it's uh, vacant, yeah, absent. Yeah. But the, what, I, what really I want to get across, it's not its presence or absence that makes anything. It's the emphasis on it. The emphasis on its presence or absence, yeah? The emphasis has been dismissed from that. I don't know how to put it better. The emphasis is not on its presence nor on its absence. <laughs> Literally. In a sense, I could care less on a lot of levels. And that's the, that's the joy. See, you would think that it's, your emphasis on its absence would be great, but it's, it's neither of them. It's, it's, in the beginning, it's nice when it's absent. But then you realize that's part of being its presence, is its shadow of the absence of it. You lose interest in both? Ah, that's a, a nice way to travel. Yeah. I find that to be uh, reliable. Yeah. See, when you trust something infinite, then the, tr- the, the trusting is infinite. Yeah? When you trust something that's finite, it leaves a lot of room for doubt and anxiety. Most of us are trusting something that's finite, a mental process. And our life is looking like that. So when, you, when your life is resting on something that's unreliable, voila, the anxiety of mind, the nerves, the, the bad, all this stuff are just symbols of that reliance on something that's unreliable. Once there's a reliance on something reliable, there's also a, a response. And you'll see it as what's appearing. This thing will travel lighter through this place. Yeah. So obviously, if we're selfing, we're not trusting that there is something infinite. We're, we're know, trusting we're self. Yeah. Yes, we're trusting self because yeah. we know self. You mentioned earlier the omnipotence, omnipresence, omniscience. Yes. I mean, is that just the story? Is that? Well, I like to just say you said you trust it because you know it, but there, there's another form of trust in not knowing, unknowing. The unknowingness of space can be su- supremely trusted. 
This what, what we call trusting is from a small system. Like the idea of having security because we know something is in a very small system. The real security is in what we would call insecurity here. The real security is in not knowing. Like it says in the Bible, the Son of Man has no place to rest its head. Yeah? There's no place to get secure about. There's no place where I can stick my flag and go, I know this. Everything is verbing. Yeah? So it's sort of like, here we are, and in this, in this system, we're using our wings like hands, trying to grab. When you recognize you're not that, you, the wings become wings. You fly and navigate the unknown. But now in self-centeredness, we're using the wings as hands, trying to grab something. And all that grabbing is denying our nature. Yes. Don't put off peace for another second. It's an actualization now. Travel later. Hey, you have the possibility. I'm not into this. Why would you want to be right about truth if it's killing you? Fuck that truth. Throw it away. Just free. Like Jesus said, again, I don't know what he said, but, you know, but they, they say in the Bible, you know, that, you know, you judge a tree by its fruit. Yeah? A good tree can't bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree is not going to bring forth good fruit. You can't see the tree, but you can judge it or intimate it by its fruit. Yeah? So when this starts captivating you, you'll know in your gut. And then go with that. Yeah? Don't wait for a quote-unquote master to tell you. Go for it. Yeah. You're not, that, that mass is not staying at your house every day. Yeah. You go with it. To me, that's what, that's what happened with me. I was going to meetings like this years ago. And then I finally realized, Jesus Christ, it's, a lot, it's expensive to fly to India. What do I, do I fucking do that for? I'm going to actually entertain what they're saying. <laughs> Bye-bye. They're obsolete to me. I still like them, but there's no need to go see them. Why? If I see them, that would be fun. But that, that drive to get something is totally dismissed. It's like being a free-range you know, character. You don't need to be near the coop. Yeah? Everything, all the temples are closed. This is the open temple, right where you are. Right, right, right where you are. And what, if not now, when? Yeah. If you're relying on self, then you're relying on that to entertain this. That's way too much time. Why am I doing it then? You're not doing it. That's the solution. See, why am I doing it is part of the dilemma. To look at it and say, I'm not doing that, that's the solution. Why is just going into a labyrinth of mind? It's like, you know the mind? You've been there. What about the alleyway called if only? What have you ever brought out of that? If only I wouldn't have got hit by a car. But I did get hit by a car. But if only I wouldn't have. If only I was a woman, I'd have two kids. But I'm not a woman. All of these things, this mental, going, I should have. I should have done something different. It's amazing how people talk about free will, but they don't exert any of it now, but they exert it in time. Past and the future, you're exerting the option of free will constantly. But right now, you're not exerting any fucking free will. But in free will, I should have done that. I could, what if I didn't do that? It's like you're playing free will galore. But now, oh, I'm just a victim of my circumstances. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Look at your head when you go into time. Don't you think it could have been different? What else would you do there in the mental realm if you didn't? There's no fun in the mental realm to accept. Oh, let's say, let me go. What should have happened? What happened? Oh, that's no way. I can't do much with that. Yeah, that's a pretty good rule of what should have happened, happened. If it didn't happen, it shouldn't have happened. Okay, end of story. That's not nice for mind. It wants to think. What should have happened? I shouldn't have been an alcoholic, but I am. Constantly going off. It's mental realm. Yeah. It's all happening now, but it has this... It's, it, it, has, it has no existence, so it, it can expand as if it's huge. You have a past and a future. What are most thoughts about? Are they about now? They're about the future, aren't they? Isn't your mind constantly just representing life to you every freaking moment? Can you imagine, in Buddhism sometimes they say the whole point of a life is the moment of death, yeah? So let's say I've been listening to selfing my whole time here. So I'm living an interpretation. So life happens, conscious, conscious contact happens, and then there's a mental reaction to that, which is the conscious contact is represented in a mental way. Yeah? So the conscious contact is brought into a mental realm as represented to your mind. Yeah? So here I am. I'm got, I've gotten into the habit of not being aware of the consciousness of the day, but in the interpretation of the day. So let's say I'm going on day after day, month after month, year after year. So whatever happens, I'm not even aware it happened until my mind tells me. There's some examples. Let's say if you go home after you had a day at work, and around 8 o'clock at night your mind tells you you had a bad day. Now, you were in the day the whole time. You would imagine if you were two levels above a coconut, you would have recognized you were having a bad day when you were having the bad day. But no, the mind represents the day as it was a bad day at 8 o'clock at night. Okay? So this is happening quite often. So you get addicted to this, and you're basically displaced from being conscious into receiving an interpretation. Like a ch you're like in a chaise lounge in the mind. Yeah? You're just lounging and the mind's doing your life for you. It's interpreting. Okay, so now, uh, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. So every moment you're in a time delay. What happens at that last moment? as this action figure. Yeah? Death occurs. Death occurs, you're not even aware of it. You're waiting for the head to tell you you're dead, but the head died with the body. <laughs> the biggest moment of your life, you missed the bus. You missed the fucking bus. Or your whole life was planning about the bus. How, and then the bus comes and you're not even there. Because you're waiting for the head to tell you, Hey, you missed the bus. <laughs> you don't see it? You're living an interpretation. This interpretation is going to end. It has a finite time. And it's overlapping. You're never experiencing what's happening now. You're just having an interpretation of what happened then. Seemingly, yeah? If you're living in the mental realm, there's time involved. So you're obviously, the mind's telling you what happened the last moment. So each, each moment is filled with an interpretation of the last moment. That train ends where there is no next moment for the interpretation to occur. Death has happened, and there was unconsciousness of it. Yeah. 
some circles, that's no good. You go into the bardo, the Tibetan thing, and you may come back a bug. And then, let's say you have a bug life, it's one day, and you get up late that day. Fuck, you missed half your life. And maybe you get squished by one o'clock. See, it's not, you see now. And now, and now, and now, and now, and now. Let the head gnaw its own tail. It's a finite body. You'll get exhausted. That plan will work. It may take time, a lot of time, but it will work. You will eat the whole body, and then you'll see there was no body in that space. But maybe just entertain that the body's just an appearance now, so you can be free of that whole meal of eating yourself through time. more questions? Are you happy now? Eh? Are you happy now? I'm ecstatic now. <laughs> Are you ever not happy? Sure. <laughs> well, of course I'm not ecstatic nor am I happy. But happiness, I'm sure. Everything happens as it's always happened. But it never happened. That's the good news. I mean, literally, the feeling is being a chair. If you take this chair up, where is its remnants? Where is its effect? Where is its footprint? There's none. It's an appearance in space. Yeah, yeah. What was that? So that, yeah, so a lot of things can appear in this space, yes? But they don't take any space up or anything. That's the beauty of this. This is contextual. Mind will allow anything and everything to appear in it, but it doesn't get affected by anything that appears in it. Yeah, it's just the conveyor of it. stuff anyway. It's just Maybe that's the best. Ignorance is bliss. I'm all for that. <laughs> now, first of all, there's no one that gets enlightened. Obviously, you've heard that before. It's just a, it's a verb. Nothing, nothing, you'd have to be a noun to get a verb. A verb is a verb, yes? I don't know much about any of that. 
And I don't, you know, in what's not happening, anything can happen. So there, I believe there are angels and demons and karmic effects and this and that. But it's in the realm of what's not happening. So in other words, in a dream, anything can happen. Yeah? I don't know if I ever was. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. You don't know if you ever were. No. <laughs> I really don't feel as, like a substantial character that could have gotten a tattoo here by anything I did or didn't do. Because I didn't do anything. I don't, I'm not a believer in karma. I do, I do believe karma can be entertained here, but I'm not a believer in karma. And I'm not a believer in enlightenment, and I'm not a believer in a lot of things. Yeah? But I could be easily persuaded differently. (laughs) I don't believe in believing much. To me, you know, I like that stuff. You know, it's interesting, entertaining. But, uh... Traveling lighter t- is uh, you know I used to have a lot of thoughts when I was younger about things and wanting to transcend and do this and do that and I wanted it I wanted to be there when it got good and all like that and it never seemed to work and uh, I've just lost interest in all that I think that's a, one of the greatest effects that has occurred by me entertaining this. I've just lost interest in a lot of things. Yeah. Doesn't, you don't lose interest, you just lose interest in things. That interest doesn't ever get lost. And you don't lose any attention, you just lose attention in things. I mean anything, spiritual things, other things. And mostly the attention does what it does, but rests in its source for me. That's what I like. It just feels, it just, it just works very simple way to go about a day. I know what I like and I know what I don't like. If I can do what I like, I do it. If I can't do what I don't like, I can't do what I like, I don't do it. Yeah? If I can surf, I'll surf every day. If I can't surf, I'll forget about surfing. Yeah. Simple, clean. But I don't know about these fields and I don't know about karma and I don't know about people and, and I think there's mental paradigms that the mind can entertain, but there's nobody entertaining that. The mind may be entertaining it through a body, but there's no you that's entertaining being the grandmother and the dad. There's just verbing. The mental process may be entertaining a grandmother of thought in a dad body, but there's no you or them doing it. There's no noun to be found in my sense. Once there's a noun, once there's a noun, then everything gets claimed. Then life isn't seen as happening through, it's happening to you, or for you, or as you, or by you. And then stories are written about that direction. As yeah? soon as you become the noun, all verb takes direction, given by you. Yeah? So now things can be seen that things I wanted aren't happening to me. Things I didn't want are happening to me. The whole world begins by you putting a flag in the state, the mind going, I am this, then everything becomes that. And that is as real as this. So the world is as real as you are. 
The world is as real as you are. If you're not real, the world ain't real. I'm not having an experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, just being. It, can, it can't touch just being. It no. It's happen, it can happen at the same time as being, but it doesn't influence or infect being. No fucking way. That's the solution. If it did, if it could, it would be more powerful than being. And that's not the case. Something that doesn't exist cannot lord a power over what exists. It can only convince what exists to think it's that. And then it's you that give all this life the meaning it has. The you. You. What you are. If it's given over to self, you're going to have a meaning of life based from self-centeredness. And you're going to need a lot, a lot of help. You're going to need a lot, a lot of relief. because it's probably going to be a lot, a lot of suffering. And you're going to become an addict to relief. And you will... And the relief, the relief of this place will teach you a lesson that no relief lasts. This, the waking up is a lasting relief. It's a solution that's worth the name of the word, word solution. Yeah? It's reliable. And not on, based on you. You're not the one that says it's reliable today and then it's unreliable. No. It's reliable. That shows, then you see this as not you. And you don't let this, this, when it's seen as not you, it can't fix you in time and space. You don't become a locale. You don't become a location. You don't become the flagpole in the river, claiming the river as this point. The activity may happen, but the claiming doesn't verify. You don't become the noun. You never did. You see it. Of course it's sticking flag poles in rivers. This is about me. This is about me. It's like, <laughs> that's its nature. I see it's very, it's compassion that grows around it. It's like a vindictive little system of mind. It's like a bird that clipped its own wings and is now bitching about it. It can't fly anymore. But it's the one that's clipping its own wings. <laughs> Are we over? Yeah. <laughs> One more. Yeah. Did you say that selfing is like other, it's like a thought that maybe it's slightly more attractive in some way? Well, selfing, this, the idea of a self is a thought. But that thought now is claiming other thoughts. Yeah? The thought of being a self, its movement is the claim. So now a thought is claiming all other thoughts as being the thinker of it. Yeah? But it's just a thought. It's reinforced. See, let's say there's an identification of selfing. Yes? So now there's an identification. The daily obsession or the daily narrative in your thinking process reinforces that identification. That's its job. Its job is to re-glue the bondage to the self. So the way you're seeing things and how life is being represented to you by thought is the trance, yes? All 
this activity of thought, it's almost like a, a fulcrum that gives a sense of being something real in the middle, which is the self. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Without that, when you see that as not you, then there's, there's no center of it. The system is just a system. There's no center. The center is made up by the system. Yeah? Selfing is a product of a mental process. Self can never get out of self. A self cannot leave the mental process. It's a product of. It only exists in the mental process. My attention and interest has been driven to go there because there's been an identification as mind with the mental process. So now it's entertaining life as a self. It's not really so. The mind is entertaining. And because of the incredible ability of mind to entertain, it seems as real as real can be. But it doesn't seem real when the identification is broken. Everything you just described, there was one quality in it, which was seeing. The thing is, it's always so. That's why it's not obvious to our mind. Yeah, That's why it's, I feel repetition is helpful, because you want a little of the mind to be disengaged from entertaining itself, because that little bit of mind can get it. It can see that every thought has been preceded by seeing. Every feeling is preceded by seeing. Everything is preceded by seeing. Every bit of every experience without seeing, there wouldn't be one. Seeing is the common denominator of every and all activities here, yet it's not being noticed. Why? Because the mind is busily entertaining life as a self, which limits its ability to see that, because that would be contrary to the self's idea. Yes? It's like somebody like that lady, Elena Kagan, who's running for the Supreme Court. Her story is that she was working for the government, and so she presented a case, and she, she fought for that case from the government's point of view. Now, she was saying, it's not my, it may not be my personal point of view, but that was my job. My job was to support the, job, the administration's view, so I was, again, I was for torture or whatever. Yeah? But her may not have been. But because that was her job, she entertained that situation that way. Exactly. Mind, being identified as the idea of being a self, is now entertaining life from that point of view. Selfing. Yet at the same moment, because it's seeing, it could see that if there was a little bit of a break, or like a, yeah, where you go, hey, I may not be that, that possibility opens up everything. Then you see every moment is preceded and held and contextually thrived in by seeing. Yeah? And then the obvious becomes obvious. Blue is blue and red is red and green is green. And it may make an incredible impression if it doesn't come back. Here and again. There's a lot of male women and men. Come and see someone you like. Really? What else are you going to do on a Sunday night? It's not that bad, eh? 
Don't have to see me. See somebody you, you resonate with. If you like to be irritated and come and see me, I'll guarantee that will happen. <laughs> but you know, let's just entertain it. It's already done. Like Ramana said, your head's in the tiger's mouth already. You just don't know it. You're still acting as if you're outside. Oh, should I do that? No, no. You're way down. You're going down the esophagus of the tiger. It's already a done deal. You're just assuming that you're somewhere other than where you are. You've already been served the spiritual subpoena. It's done. Bingo. You have. Feel the energy of the room, man, like you were speaking. What is that called? That What's the space? Isn't there something going on here? Isn't there? Come on. Yes? Yeah. That's the message. The wording is word. The wording is like the envelope. The message is that. Sense of something. Yes? It's not coming from me. It's emanating from all of our space. Yes? Sure. I don't. It's, it's self-fulfilling now. It's like electromagnetism. Electromagnetism goes on infinitely. The electricity produces magnetism. Magnetism produces electricity. Entertaining something true may be it. That's all you do. And it's entertaining true, true, entertain, entertaining true. Oh, the body may go through something. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, it's it matters, you know. Let's say if you're going to run 220 energy through a 110 electrical thing, you may have to change the wiring a little. And it may seem uncomfortable to the mental process for a few months for it to get re, so that it can receive a bigger jolt. Who knows? I don't know. I don't like to make, name anything because then the mind goes, oh, that hasn't happened to me. And it, the mind uses that to exile itself from, from everywhere and go into another special somewhere by making someone else having a special somewhere. No, it's always available right now, all the time. No requirement necessary. What's looking is what you're looking for. Where, exactly. <laughs> There's a you in the way. When the you gets dropped out, you'll realize what's looking is what's looking for right now. Yeah? Zen bitch slap. That's the name. Have you heard my website? That's what it's meant. It's a joke on an old koan, you know? What's the sound of one hand clapping? So we just say, what's the sound of one hand slapping? Because <laughs> the verb, selfing is a verb, and it can be startled into stopping. Yeah? It can. It's not a noun. It's not an inherent nature. It's a verb. And a verb can be startled into stopping. So something can occur, hopefully at a meeting, or when you're walking out of here, or when you're doing taking a shit, or whatever. Something, you'll get a free sample, and hopefully you'll... The emphasis will ding, and then when that emphasis shifts, it's a done deal. When the emphasis leaves the preoccupation with selfing, the selfing has only seemed so real because of what's entertaining it. It has no reality in and of itself. It's a mirage. It's made to seem real by what's entertaining it. When your mind is freed from that chore, you'll be amazed what will happen. Yes, yes. Um, since I found out about you, 
the check is in the mail. <laughs> Should have done that a little earlier, though. I was losing them, brother. I'm losing them. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you're in the cult. You don't know it. The sweatsuit's on its way. Imagine the sweatsuit. The secret handshake. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can I uh, say one thing? We have DVDs back there. Uh, I can't swear if they'll work or not, but we just got them out. I think, uh, and some of them may, <laughs> you have to take a chance, but they're available, I think, for $5 each. They're, one of them's a whole talk, one of the talks I regularly do, and with interviews by a, a guy, and I think they're pretty good. So if you're interested in checking them out, or zenbishslap.com, tons of free downloads. Just we have tons of talks on there, and I do three talks a week. So, well, you can go on the website and see it. But they're Monday and Wednesday in the city, San Francisco, at a church called uh, St. John's at Lake Inaguelo. One's at seven Monday night, and one's at seven thirty Wednesday night. And then Saturday morning is in Marin City in Marin County, across the bridge. But it's on the website, zenbitchlab.com. It has the uh, has the uh, calendar. Well, I hope you join us again. Any time, yeah. Ask me. And I'm not going anywhere if you want to hang out, so don't worry. So one more announcement. If you haven't had enough uh, workshops, we're going to meet here on uh, Saturday, right here, 6 a.m. Saturday, with Danny Scott for all of our children. Yeah, that's all. We host talks about it two or three times a month and have a website also. Yeah, I want to thank you for having us. Thank you again.